Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about something that I presume 99% of healthcare professionals and physicians are not aware of. And this is called arm's length lending that you can do with your RRSP. There are many reasons why we are not familiar with it or even understand that it exists. We're going to go through what arm's length lending really means and what are the barriers that exist so that you are never aware of it. Nobody has ever told you. And in fact, no accountants have ever told me about it. So the question is why and what is this? So let's start the podcast with Mr. Quentin D'Souza. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. What is private lending? And then uh, from where or from what? The other thing that I think should would be a good discussion point is why people don't know about it. You know, when there isn't an incentive, especially in the stock market, like they, they're not going to tell you, you can <laughs> earn, you know, a flat rate of return by lending if it's not gonna, if there's no incentive for them, right? Everybody right. is incentive based in some way. When I buy buildings, I buy buildings using a vendor take back mortgage. Yeah. Right. Which is really private financing, seller financing. How many people are willing to do vendor take back? An apartment building is a lot more than you would think because really, yeah. they're, they're deferring taxes. I can talk some of the benefits of that too. So welcome everybody to the How Is My Financial uh, Health Doc podcast and I'm your host, Phuket Tran. Today we're going to be really talking and diving deep into one particular aspect of real estate investment. You know, if you hear me talk about on my podcast, you, I think, come to the realization that Vuketran loves to talk about real estate and Vuketran loves to talk about insurances. So today is going to be one of my favorite topics. And I have back on the show, Mr. Quentin D'Souza. Uh, Quentin, welcome back. Thanks, Vu. How are you doing? I'm 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 extremely excited. I'm really well, uh, and uh, I hope uh, you're doing as well um, on your side. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, it's always a good day when I'm talking real estate. Perfect, perfect. Today we're going to talk about you know one part of real estate investment that nobody really knows about, and it's called private lending. Yeah. And uh, and it's not just for physicians, you know, um, anybody who is a professional, uh, a dentist, a lawyer, an accountant, uh, a chiropractor, anybody who is a professional who has accumulated some wealth um, and who now wants to deploy and invest this. And most of the time, people think about the market. People think about uh, investing in crypto and people still people think about investing in different stocks and crypto 
but definitely there's an opportunity to play in the real estate market using this particular strategy. And we're talking about uh, private lending. So uh, Quentin, give us maybe a little sense of, you know, how people can play in the real estate um, industry, and then we'll, we'll drill it down into the private lending itself. Sure. Yeah, there there are lots of different ways that you can invest in it. Usually, it it depends on what you're looking for. So it depends on your time commitment and um, the income that that you you require. And it and it's usually on that type of graph, uh, right? So you have your uh, income and and wealth that's required on the bottom, and then you know you you have your your job, and then you have like uh, time the time commitment to be able to uh, on the uh, the Y part of the graph. And, um, you know, the, if you're looking to create wealth, then you usually want to be directly investing in property. So that would be, you know, buying those uh, single family homes, duplexes, that sort of thing, um, investing in larger buildings, uh, maybe uh, participating in funds or REITs, uh, all the things that we talked about before on that previous episode. Um, as you get further along in your career, uh, what I find is that those people who have generated funds in their real estate portfolio now want to create an income from that, or they've saved funds in their, you know, different registered funds. They want to create an income from that, and they'll use private lending to do that. So it's a, a way to take, uh, let's say you you had, um, you know, a, a fixed dollar amount of invest, uh, investment and you wanted to generate a specific income amount without drawing down upon the the um, the value of the existing uh, asset. So that's or in this case, uh, cash or registered funds or what, whatever it is, without drawing it down, you use um, lending to be able to do that. And um, you, you, it also helps to avoid some of the up and downs that you find that happens in the, in the stock market. So uh, oftentimes, you know, you hear about um, getting a, an 8% return, but uh, an 8% return doesn't often mean that you actually get the, the same amount or more of your funds back, depending on, you know, what it is that you're you're investing in. So you can, you know, what often happens in the stock market is you you start off with $100 and, and you make, let's say you make $50 uh, one year, and but then you lose $50 or, or you, you lose $75 the next year. So you're down to 75 and you increase, you know, maybe another, $25 and you're back at $100, um, you know, the, your return average is higher than like 8%, but your actual return is not, you know, that. And that's what often happens when you, you look at average returns in the stock market. Um, so the way that I look at returns is like how much money that I start with and how much money do I end with? And did I get a return? And so that's why I like uh, private investing or private lending, because it allows you to use that asset base to, to generate income from it. Now, um, there are lots of risks and lots of benefits to doing this. And you have to understand that as you go into it, but you can mitigate a, a lot of those risks uh, by doing due diligence. Um, the thing about 
private lending and the reason why you don't hear about it is because uh, people, other people aren't making a lot of money off of it, right? Um, like you're not going to hear about that from somebody who is pushing mutual funds or stocks because you know, they're not making a benefit from it. They're not going to tell you that you could get, uh, you know, an 8% annual return doing, you know, this type of lending. So it, it's it's just not really talked about as much. And it's definitely something that people who are, that have registered funds can take advantage of. So if you're looking to create a something uh, consistent income from, then I, I would definitely suggest uh, private lending. If you're looking to create wealth and income, then I would consider investing directly into uh, real estate versus the the lending side, because you can make a, a, a lot higher return. I've done both. Uh, I don't have a lot of registered funds and the, the registered funds that I do have, they are for lending. Um, so I've, I've lent them. And the ones, that, and I've I've done private mortgages to to other investors before. Instead of sitting on cash, uh, I I uh, was able to to do some private lending, and then I borrow quite a bit a, a bit of funds as well uh, in order to purchase other assets and and offset uh, costs and and that sort of thing. So there's lots okay. of ways to 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 use it and do it. Okay, so we'll we'll draw we'll drill uh, into those uh, uh, within the show and in a few minutes, but I want to come back and unwrap a few things because you said a few things that are important. Mm -hmm. One, with your example the, of the one hundred dollars that went up fifty dollars the first year, the second year it went down seventy five dollars, and then the third year it came back up to twenty five dollars. So essentially. You started with a hundred dollars and you ended up with a hundred dollars, but your return is is not zero, right? Your rate, your rate is somewhere like uh, we said fifty percent minus seventy five percent plus fifty percent. If you average it out, the average uh, return is still twenty five percent, but the annualized return is zero, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's what people don't understand about the returns in the market. They think I'm going to make 8% every year, every year, year after year, which is not the truth. So when people under misunderstand that the market gives you 9.8%, uh, they need to figure out what that really means. Absolutely. But the, the more, the more important point that you're making is with real estate investment, or at least with the private lending, we're going to talk about private lending. If you're making 8%, you're making 8%. Uh, yeah. There's there's no there's no up and down. You are making an interest at eight um, percent. You mentioned also something: the difference between investing in a a proper real estate, a, a home, a piece of land, a piece of property, versus investing as lending my money to other individuals. So there are two different types of investment in real estate. I want to dive deep into that today. Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, you mentioned something: why why do people not know about this? How come, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm smart enough. I've heard of the stock bonds ETF. I've, I've heard of, you know, buying homes and condos and stuff. But how come nobody has ever talked to me about private lending? Is it something that I can do? So Quentin, as a, as a physician, can I do this? Am I smart enough to do this? 
Absolutely, you're smart enough to do this. And um, and the reason why you don't hear about it is because you always have to follow how somebody profits in order to find out what they suggest to you. And uh, this is just, uh, you know, what I do as a business owner, I want to know how you get paid, right? And if you don't get paid for something, usually it means that you don't suggest it. Now, that's not everybody and, um, you know, uh, like we're talking about it today. It's just something that not everybody knows about. And the more you, um, you know, explore what options are available to you, the more you can make more informed decisions about how you you invest and place your money. And it, it's not really that complicated. Um, really, it's about doing due diligence on the the operator, the person who's borrowing the funds. And, you know, I have specific criteria that I've used to do borrowing. Now, you have to remember, I'm not a mortgage broker or a mortgage agent. I, I don't do this for a living. I, I've just done my own private lending. And um, there are lots of, you know, people that you can build a, a team around to help you to do this. But yes, anybody can do this. And the best part about it is that if you're looking to get a like a, a specific type of return on your registered funds, whether it's TFSAs, RESPs, um, you know, your uh, RRSPs, you can use your, you know, you can use a trust company to hold the, the registered funds for you and lend uh, using private lending on those funds and get that, that type of return, okay. which is uh, pretty awesome. Well, let's, let's dive into that then. We've been talking and throwing the word private lending around uh, a lot. So let's, let's just define that. Quentin, help us define mm -hmm. what what did you mean by private lending and and how do we do it? So private lending is when you have somebody who is a private individual, not a, a like a bank or a finance fin financial institution that is lending funds to another uh, person. So me, Vuketran, for example. Yep. Uh, I have let's say. 200,000 or somewhere, let's say 500,000. I've got 500,000 sitting in my in my bank account right now and I want to deploy it. And instead of putting it into the market or instead of buying GICs, I'm going to lend to Quentin, right? Yep. Okay, that's so, that's the premise. So, so first, first I would say, okay, for, for me, I would say, what, what am I going to do with that $500,000 in order to make sure that I can exit the, the, the second mortgage in this case, which is what, what I would offer you and be able to pay it back. So what I would be doing, so as a, somebody who's lending, you would want to know the person's business plan. You want to figure out how is that person going to pay you back and exit that in this case, it would be a second mortgage, not a first mortgage. We we could do it as a first mortgage, but I I want to illustrate it at a, at a second mortgage type of rate. Okay, so then I would look at my my portfolio. Oh, Quentin, before yeah. we go there, before we go there, um, some of my audience um, don't understand first and second mortgage. What does that mean? Oh, oh thanks. <laughs> so, like a, a first mortgage would be. A mortgage that's in first position. So that means that if you were to to do any defaulting, that first first position mortgage would be paid first. A second position mortgage would be paid second. 
right? Third position mortgage would be paid third. It's the order of, of repayment. Um, the way that you mitigate the risk is that you have equity in the property so that um, if you were to have um, a default, that the property would be able to cover all of the existing debt on it. So you wouldn't want to have a mortgage that has like higher than 90%, 95% financing, because what ends up happening is if there's a default, the, the it's unlikely that all the lenders are going to be paid. It, it, so, and as you have a, like higher, like a first, second and third position mortgage, each like that second and third position mortgage are much higher risk, right? right? So that because that first position mortgage, they're going to get paid first uh, in the event of a default. Right. So they 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 get paid. The second position mortgage uh, will will get paid second. Third will get paid third. So the you want to be lower in the debt stack in order to get paid uh, first. So let me let me just uh, simplify this a little bit for the audience. So let's just say the mortgage is a hundred dollars, just for argument's sake. Okay. So uh, and and you don't want to lend more than um, sorry the house is worth a hundred dollars okay yeah. and and the individual needs a hundred dollars to buy that house or you know what they may they may want to put five percent down so they may want to put five dollars down and then mortgage uh, and and borrow the other ninety five dollars now the the loan to value is very important because the loan to value means how much loan in in comparison to the value of the house. In, in this particular example, the loan to value is 95%, right? But to further mitigate the risk, people can say, well, I will only give loan to value of 70%, which means um, the mortgage is $70 and the individual has to come up with the other 30. So the first, the first position lender will probably give you up to in the in the example of 95%. I'm going to use a 95% example. The first lender will say, I'm going to lend you six sixty dollars. Uh, and then you still need the other 35. So out of the 35, the second lender will lend you, let's say 20, and the third lender will lend you 15. Right. So that's how that works. The as you say, Quentin, the first person, the first position, uh, if anything happens, they'll get their $60 back. Uh, and then the second may and the third may not, depending on what the value of the house is. So if we remember 2008, when the housing market collapsed in the US and people lost 50% of the value of their home. So I started off with $100 and now it's worth $50. Well, the guy in first position will get $50, but he's still lacking the $10. And the second and third mortgage position person gets nothing. So that's what that means. And so being second and third uh, person in, in the mortgage lending is more risky. But because you're having more risk, you also benefit a little bit more in terms of interest rate. Correct, yep. Quentin? Absolutely, yeah, and and there's uh, there's one thing on top of that that is even more risky, which is called the promissory note. I don't know if we want to go down that path. Maybe later when when we actually discuss the how and the nuts and the bolts, uh, yep. but just give us a concept of what that means. Yeah, so a promissory note is really a promise to pay. It's like uh, you may have like a personal guarantee component of it, but a prom it's really a, a note, but it's not secured against anything. You you can 
promise to pay and add a security to it, but it's very, very risky because there is, uh, um, it's only really, it would be something that you might do to like a, a family member or a friend or somebody that you know very well. Um, but it's not something that I would highly recommend. Uh, but there are people that look at promissory notes. Uh, the problem with promissory notes is that there's been issues in the past where, um, you know, there's been a number of people that have come together with that and, you know, the lenders disappeared and, or the borrower has disappeared. That's, that's why it's such a risky thing. It's better to have an asset that you have underneath it, unless you're really confident about the person. And even then you would still want to have pledged some sort of security. The other thing I want to say is I don't do not do any mortgage lending to like regular people. I don't know if that that sounds right or not, but I only um, do lending to investors. And the reason why I do you mean you mean accredited investors? No. So what I mean is that um, like like if I'm lending to somebody like um, like you're talking about lending me five hundred thousand dollars on uh, to to borrow right uh, and I need to put that onto a property. What you want the reason why I would only do it to investors is because they will have a business plan in order to pay back that five hundred thousand uh, dollars. I get right? it. I get it. So, um, but what happens if you just lend it to somebody else who's just, you know, they they were in debt issues or something like that, and, and they need this $500,000 to pay back the debt, there's no, like what ends up happening usually is they end up in the same position and you have to, you know, there becomes a lot more complicated and I don't want to, to, to do that. So I like to see if I'm the lender and, you know, uh, Vu is lending me $500,000. I want to know that Quentin has a business plan that's going to pay Vu back in one year or two years that uh, $500,000. And if I can share that with the uh, to the person who's lending and they understand my business plan, then they feel confident in, in, in lending to me. That could be like I'm taking the $500,000 and I'm investing it in the property. And that uh, I'm going to make that property worth an additional $800,000. And then I'm going to, you know, refinance that property with the first lender, pay back the second lender, which would be VU, his $500,000. And now I'll have a, like a new mortgage, let's say, of a million dollars. Right. So like it, that's the difference I find with uh, and why I, I focus on that side of things. Um, but there are people who who do do second mortgages with, I don't know how to, like regular people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying here, Quentin, is one of the ways to mitigate the risk and make sure that, you know, you actually get your money back is lend it to someone that has a business plan that has a projection of cash flow and income and growth and that and that you actually believe it right they may be selling you the sky but it will never happen but lending the money to someone who has a goal of producing even more money so that you actually get your money back versus lending it to Quentin because Edwin Quentin owes a casino 500 grand well, once I give 500 grand to Quentin and he pays a casino, there's no 
there's no income producing here. There's no capital mm-hmm. producing here. So yep. therefore, it's not a business plan, right? It's just yep. it's just allowing Quentin to pay back his debt. But how about mine? How do I get paid back? So what you're saying, Quentin, is lending it to people that has a business plan, whether they want to invest in real estate, whether they want to invest in a startup, whether they want to invest in whatever they want to invest. However, that being said, I think real estate has, you know, brick and mortar and sand that you can touch and taste versus, you know, putting in a startup where they can go belly up. And so the the point that you're making, Quentin, is make sure they have a reasonable, stable business plan. Yeah, absolutely. And there are like there are people that are really like good and uh, have uh, so like you for example with me um i have a i have a great business i do very well but if i were to get um uh, do a refinance on an existing property i would have a problem i've i've got 125 million in assets you know i've got uh, businesses that that generate income but they uh, because i don't have a t4 income the banks don't look favorably on the assets that i have so it's hard for me to to refinance those assets because I don't want to change the debt on them. So for example, I'll have a a duplex that's worth uh, like 1.1 million, but I'll have a debt of 200,000 on it. So then I would go to to Vu and I'd say, Vu, I've got this asset. It's worth 1.1. So how do I know that uh, as the lender that I know it's 1.1? I can get an independent appraisal done on that property. So you get an appraiser to go in. You have the person who's who wants to do the lending. They pay for the appraisal. You make sure that they're you know from they're they're stamped with a uh, um, the proper uh, designations for uh, as an appraiser, and uh, you get an appraisal done of the property, and then that tells you what the value of the property is. And then you look at the the existing first mortgage debt, and you want to make sure that the first mortgage debt is like um, you know two hundred thousand dollars in the case that I'm telling you, and then. And then I say, well, Vu, I'm going to borrow that five hundred thousand in second position. But really, the there that would mean that there's a seven hundred thousand dollar debt on a one point one million dollar value property. So that it means that that's going to be less than a seventy percent loan to value. But I'm going to give you eight percent on that because eight uh, percent interest on that second mortgage, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those funds and I'm going to use it to carry out a business plan. Right. And then once that business plan is carried out after a year, I'm going to pay you back based on that business plan and and uh, get rid of that second mortgage again. I, as the borrower, are the one is the one who pays the lender's um, uh, legal fees so that they get that straight 8% return. So there's like, um, so if you're, if you have that $500,000 in, in cash, you're, you're giving it to, and we're, this is all done through lawyers. So the, um, you would have a lawyer and I would have a lawyer. So we have separate lawyers. So uh, that it's independent legal advice, um, particularly because of the size of the mortgage that you're dealing with. And then what ends up happening is I would get the $500,000 minus all the legal fees. And then we would set up either like post-dated checks or ACH or some other way that you want, how you want to be paid that 8% on the, that, um, that $500,000. Right. And. So, and then when when yeah. we exit the 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 mortgage, 
the same thing would happen. I would pay your legal fees to exit the mortgage and you would get back your $500,000 through the, um, um, through the lawyers. Right. So let's just uh, unpack that a little bit just for people to understand. So if we're talking about 500,000, 8%, that means 40,000. That yeah. means every, every year, Vuketran, when I'm lending money to Quentin, Quentin got the 500,000. And Quentin every year gives me 40 grand, but 40 grand divided by 12 months, right? So he writes me 12 post-dated checks for the amount of time. Let's say it's two years, then it would be 24 post-dated checks of the 40 grand divided by 12. So I'm getting my monthly income that way. And then at the end of this project, when Quentin refinances with Bank A, which is a, a, a you know, first first position bank. So let's call it TD Bank, Scotia Bank, whatever bank. When he gets that money back from the bank, then Quentin pays me back the five hundred thousand. In in all of this, in all of this, Quentin takes care of the appraisal fee. Quentin takes care of the legal fees. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Quentin. As part of the private lending, not only do I get that forty grand divided by twelve. There's also a setup and administrative fee that that the lender has to pay as well, in addition to that 8%. Am I right? Um, that's only if you're using registered funds and, and if you include that fee into the terms of the, the mortgage. So yeah, you could do that. I think like on a registered fund, it's like 150 bucks a year or something like that. Um, uh, so it, it depends on if it's registered funds or non-registered funds. Got it. And if it's registered funds, you have to use a trustee and um, it's a little bit more complicated, but um, it works this, the same way. Okay. Yeah. Now, the important thing about the 8% uh, that Quentin mentioned. So I, I lend money to Quentin, the 500 grand, and Quentin's paying me 8%. And this is a straight up 8% after all legal fees and, and everything which means that if the market goes up and down, it doesn't matter. Quentin is paying me 8%, correct? Yep, absolutely. And so this is a very stable uh, type of interest. Now, the other thing that is also important, remember that, uh, recognize that Quentin says 8%, but the borrowing rate right now is what? 4%, 5%? So yep. where, where does the extra 3% come from? Why why is Quentin paying me the extra 3 4%? Why is that, Quentin? Because it's a lot less, uh, like like I said before, sometimes it's a challenge to access equity in properties from the investor perspective. So I'm paying you because it's a less, um, you know, I have 50 plus properties. You can imagine the amount of paperwork that I would have to go through in order to get the um, get any uh, uh, deals done, right? So it, it means less paperwork for me. You mean deals um, done with the bank? With the uh, bank, like because, with the tier one bank. Right, because the bank wants to know who Quentin is, his financials. He wants to know what his left kidney size is, right? Uh, and 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 the bank also wants to make sure that they name his first child, right? So That's... the bank <laughs> the bank wants a lot from Quentin. And in this in this type of private lending, well, all Vu cares about is I got my hands on the property if anything goes goes south and that the loan to value is not high enough that I can get my hands on his property. Uh, that, that's really what Vu cares about at the end of the day. Yep. 
And the other thing too is that um, when you're when you're thinking about how this the, how this will work, um, you, you're interested in actually taking the asset, um, but you're really talking about like who that person is that's borrowing is the key, right? That's absolutely that's the, the, the key for you. Yeah. And um, and Quentin is you know Quentin is not the average investor, so Quentin is going to say, "Vu, what would you like to get nine percent instead of eight percent?" What if I paid you once a year at the end of the year, would you be okay with 9% a year instead of 8% and then we do it that way? Yeah, why not, right? So again, it's coming back to doing your due diligence and and who you're lending to. Um, and if you're lending to Quentin, who is a experienced, mature investor versus you know doing it with Vuketran, who's never invested or done a burr before, uh, then that's that's a little bit riskier, right? And that's another thing, you know, when you're when you're lending to to people, I, I might pay a little bit more because I want to create a relationship with you so that I can continue to do more lending with you, so that um, I can do this particular deal and perhaps another deal in the future. So that's one way to uh, to do that uh, on my side is to make sure that the person that I'm uh who I'm borrowing funds for is happy with what they're they're getting but then also you know I'm creating relationships with people so that later on that if uh, another opportunity comes up to lend that they'll come to me and ask me right before they ask somebody else and that's what I've found has has worked well for 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 me from the borrowing side From the lending side, you know, it's about having the relationships with people who have uh, active projects. Um, so like uh, we have um, uh, people that come to uh, like a monthly meeting. And at that meeting, we we have people raise hands like who is doing private lending and who is doing who wants to borrow. And then they can kind of come together. So it makes it a, an active kind of partnership. If you didn't have that, you would have to add people on your team like a, a mortgage broker or a mortgage agent that specializes in private lending in order to help you to, to do this. Now, you, you as the person who's lending the funds don't pay for that. Uh, usually the person who's borrowing the funds pays for the the lender and that's Correct. through a lending fee and that lending fee can be like one percent or two percent of the total amount of the mortgage and then that's how the that mortgage broker agent gets paid Correct. so um that's that's another way of doing it you shouldn't just let a mortgage broker uh or agent dictate this is the type of investing that you should be doing what you should you should come in it with some ideas of the type of investing that you want to be doing because they could present to you second mortgages like i said of somebody who's in a debt issue right and want you to do a second mortgage on that that's that's in 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 my the way that I see it, that's too high of a risk. Yeah, I would, I would rather, like I said, have somebody that has some sort of plan to be able to pay those funds back that has an exit. Absolutely. Um, and and the other thing is that there's lots of great books on the on the topic, right? Yeah, we'll we'll come to that. Uh, we'll come to that in in a minute. So I want to just come back to your uh, statement earlier. You know, we have individuals that don't take a T4 for whatever reason, 
And because they don't take a T4, it makes it even more challenging for a tier one bank to lend money. So who are the bar- who are these borrowers typically? Uh, a lot, you said, uh, are people who don't have a T4. And who are the people who don't have T4s? For example, uh, some some uh, real estate investors. Uh, yep. We always talk about plumbers. <laughs> business uh, owners. Business yep. owners. So yep. these are the typical borrowers or people who has a challenge with the bank. Not because they're crooks. It's simply because they don't have a T4. Um, <laughs> and they don't like paying taxes. <laughs> they don't like paying taxes. So... You know, my audience out there, a lot of my audience are professionals who are MPC, who are incorporated and only take dividends because their accountants told them to take dividends and not a T4. So this is a scenario where you can run into because you're taking a dividend and not a T4. And if you decide to invest in real estate because you want to do a refinance, you want to do a a burr, and then that becomes really, really challenging with a T1 um, with a, t- a tier one bank. And so you may have to go through this private lending route. So some of you out there who only take dividends, this this show really is about you, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I did. I never thought of that, but you're absolutely right. That's exactly who would uh, be, be, would have challenges with financing. You know, they might have to go to B lenders or private lenders in order to um, get their financing completed. Correct. So now let's take that 500,000, okay? So Vu has 500,000 to lend to Quentin, okay? So the question is, uh, this 500,000, what account does it come from? Where where does Vu get this 500,000? Does it come from reg account? Does it come from non-reg account? Is there a mm-hmm. difference? Yeah, there is. So let's say you had $500,000 in cash in a bank. Um, it is so quick to get those funds to put into a mortgage. Like you could get it done in a, like it's, it's just as fast as the, the, the lawyer can do the documents. You can get it done in just a couple of days. So that means that as long as the due diligence was done and you're very comfortable, you could get it done in a few days if it's cashing in a bank. If it is like um, investments that are already invested in something, it would take you time to liquidate those investments and then put it, bring it to cash and then put it into uh, an account. If, if they are registered funds, this is where it becomes a little bit more challenging and you have to be careful because there are tax consequences associated with them. You have to use a trustee who has a, a self-directed registered account that would allow you to hold uh, registered funds. So uh, an example of this is Olympia Trust. So right. Olympia Trust is a trustee they, they don't give investment advice. They don't tell you how to do anything, uh, but they can sh- they can open up a self-directed RRSP account, a self-directed TFSA account, a self-directed RESP account, okay? And yeah. then what you can do is if you have those funds, let's say you have an RRSP in like a bank, whatever bank it is. I don't want to say a specific bank because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> we, and we want to take those funds from the mutual funds that they're in, invested in and put them in a self-directed RRSP. The key is to 
that you would need to talk to your bank. You, you do not remove the funds from the RRSP. This is key. You transfer the funds from one RRSP to the other RRSP, the self-directed RRSP. If you if you remove the funds from the RRSP, you're going to be taxed on it. Right, That's you trigger suck. the tax. Yeah. yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to not be good. So you be careful. You just need you need to transfer the funds to the self-directed RSP at Olympia Trust. Now, this is what happens. My experience is banks and advisors do not want to release the funds. And it often takes weeks in order to get this done. So if uh, you're if you have to deal with a gatekeeper, you can expect it's going to take you know, anywhere from three weeks to eight weeks to get the process done. So don't plan on doing a, <laughs> a lending if if you don't have the funds transferred. Once you've transferred, once you've got the funds transferred into Olympia Trust, then you can get the a mortgage done in in maybe a week or two weeks. But the Olympia Trust process does take some time, and they have criteria. So Olympia Trust will have a minimum interest rate that you that you have to charge uh annually uh they'll have minimum like uh terms they have a whole list of criteria they also the, the key is that you can't remember all of these mortgages have to be arm's length mortgages they can't be mortgages that have uh, which is is really important because there are tax consequences that happen you can't just take funds from your your rsp and then borrow them yourself Right. Yeah. Or, or give them to your your spouse or to, your, you know, your your brother. Like you can't do that. They have to be arm's length. Um, they can't be like a, a family member like that. And, and otherwise you get you get taxed again. So that's why you need to talk to a, an accountant. Right. Um, in order to help you. So but the, the trustee is where, what holds it. And then you use your lawyer who will take the funds from Olympia Trust and then give it to the the um the lawyer of the the person who's borrowing. Right. And and then that's the the process. So let me let me unpack that because there's a lot of things that have been said there and I just want to make sure the audience follow. So one, let's say Vu has a RSP account with the uh, bank number 1, right? Mm-hmm. And I've got 500,000 in that RSP account. What I want to do is open up an account with a trust with a trust company. In this case, you mentioned Olympia, but Olympia is definitely not the only one. There are many others. But mm-hmm. let's just use again your example of Olympia. So I've uh, I've I've ta- I'm gonna take my five hundred thousand from my RSP account, but I'm not selling anything. I'm transferring in kind, right? Yes, Quentin, that's in, that's very important. I'm not selling. I'm not selling any of my funds inside my RSP. I'm just transferring those funds, the total amount of 500000 to the, this trust company. And I'm transferring in kind so that I don't, I don't trigger any taxes. Once it goes to this trust company, then I need to sell them to generate the cash. That's when I sell them inside that RRSP account inside the trust so that I don't trigger the taxes. 
once uh, I- just what just one step before that when you are like at bank one you you have to remember an rsp is like an account so yes. you are selling the assets while they're in that account but you, they stay within the rsp account you're you, that that's the key then you're transferring it from the rsp account to the self-directed rsp account at olympia trust correct so, so, it has so there to is be. that yeah there has to be that the liquidation happens within the rsp correct at the bank level correct. that's when it happens well, yeah, it could happen there. You can transfer in cash or you can transfer in kind. The The point yep. is don't go from an RSP account to a non-reg account because you're, that's when you trigger all the taxes. So you go from an RSP account at the bank to a RSP account at the trust. Um, and then so once that's done, there's no there's no trigger of any tax. Mm-hmm. Once, once that amount uh, is sitting inside the trust account, uh, in a trust RSP account, that's the money you can now deploy. Now, in terms of arm's length, you mentioned, um, arm's length here is defined as anybody who's not related by blood. <laughs> okay, so, but, but, uh, so you can't, you can't borrow to yourself. Uh, you can't, you can't, sorry, you can't lend to yourself. Uh, you cannot lend to your spouse and you cannot lend to siblings or parents. However, it says you can you can lend to an aunt, an uncle, a niece, or nephew. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is considered arm's length. And and if you're doing that type of lending, arm's length lending, there are some CRA papers that you need to fill out for them to consider that. Um, yeah, the, there is you can lend to yourself non arm's. The problem is, is that the the tax consequence makes it uh, like useless. It's not a like the amount of fees that you you would have to to charge are actually um, there's a there are additional charges to do it. It just doesn't make sense. Like you, there, you would never do it because of the the costs associated with it. So there is the. I know that you um, that that um, you d- you wouldn't want to do that, but there are non non arms length like type of lending. It's just not something that uh, it would be recommended at all. Correct, correct. Yeah. So now we just brought up a, a concept that I think it's not clear to everyone mm-hmm. is that you could do this with your registered account. It's not just mm-hmm. with cash sitting outside. So. In your RSP, you know, every every year there's commercials by the bank that's come to the bank, buy your RSP, <laughs> uh, buy your mutual funds from bank one, bank two, and they all have these commercials. And we all know RSP season, right? Be, and we've been groomed and we've been uh, molded to buy, you know, only things from the market and mutual fund. But this is another option for you. If you have money in your RSP account and they're sitting in cash or you can convert them to cash, you can do now what is called a RRSP non-arm, sorry, a RRSP arm's length lending, which is essentially private lending through your registered account. And as you said earlier, Quentin, this is not something that people know about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just it's just not well known for sure. And it, you could I'm sure if people more people knew about it and they knew the type of returns that they could get. Now, the one thing that that we really didn't talk about is that you're not getting any equity growth in this type of investment, right? This is interest only 
growth. So if you're looking for income, then then yes, this is definitely a strategy. If you're looking for a specific type of return, the the other thing that we didn't think we we didn't talk about is that you also have to be ready to line up investments one after the other in order to ensure that you get an eight percent return. So what I mean by that is, let's say um, you decided on five hundred thousand dollars and you lent it to me, and then. Um, you know, it, it's a September and we're going to do it for October and we're going to do it for a year. So we've done it for a year, $500,000. And I end up paying you back those funds in the year. And I don't want to do it for another year. Now, if you don't have somebody else lined up for October 2023, you may be sitting on cash, right? And if you don't redeploy it, let's say until December of 2023, you are, and then you, let's say you put it in for another 8% with another person, then those funds aren't earning that 8% for the year because you have have two months where you're not earning funds. So that's the, that's one thing that you want to kind of consider when you're doing this. You need to have um, like a, a deal flow, I would call it, when it comes to lending. Correct. That's why I think like joining different communities is a great way of, of doing that if you want to be a, a lender. Correct. So if, you, if you're looking to find other people, like, um, you know, I run the Durham REI, you talked about uh, Rain and um, some some other communities that are out there. Uh, if you go to meetup.com, you can find different uh, real, uh, real estate related communities. Um, and those those uh, uh, investors are out there looking for uh, for funds to borrow. So those are different communities you, you can go to and ensure to, you know, um, have the deal flow so that you continue to get those consistent returns. It's the consistency that will give you that 8%. Right. That's Now we talk about 8%, but it could definitely be more than 8% depending on the risk of the project, right? Like you mentioned yep. earlier, someone may, may be, be willing to pay 9% because they want to pay yearly as opposed to monthly. But there are so many other scenarios that where people could be charging 10, 11% because of XYZ risk. At the end of the day, this is a contract, a legal contract between two individuals. And so you can set up the contract, whichever fits your, your need and your demand. The other thing that you mentioned is, you know, these groups that you're talking about, the networking, essentially is Lava Life or eHarmony for investors and lenders, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going on this website and I meet Quentin. Oh, I like Quentin. I like the, the type of investment that he does. I, I like his business plan. Uh, and then I'll meet up with Quentin and we have a coffee together and we shake hands and then all of a sudden we have a legal contract. So really is trying to get into these type of network and they exist everywhere. Mm -hmm. People just need to Google them. And then once that first coffee is done and people want to work together and then comes the legal aspect of, and all the contracts. So please don't do this without a legal contract. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what you would do is you would have a term sheet that you you 
establish with um you know the person who's borrowing or the person who's lending so you'd outline a term sheet but then you would go to your lawyer and you have you would have it reviewed by your lawyer and you would have the the terms kind of outlined a little bit more out there and when it comes to like building your team you want to work with a lawyer who has done many of these right there are lots of firms that have done many of these type of um of lending and and borrowing. And so you just want to make sure that they're experienced in it and that they can give you some independent legal advice when Perfect. it comes to that. Yeah. Perfect. So since we're on the topic of teams, so we know we know that we need a lawyer and we need a lawyer who's experienced in private lending. We know we talked earlier that if you're doing a reg account, that you need a trust. So Olympia Trust is one of them. Who are the other people we need on our team, Quentin? Yeah, so, I mean, there are a couple of different people. One is you need a, an appraiser. So somebody who is a certified appraiser, um, usually there is um, a few different stamps. So depending on the type of appraisal that you're looking for. There'll be uh, commercial appraisal appraisers and residential appraisers. So if you're doing um, a, like a mortgage or a second mortgage uh, or any type of lending on a residential property, they'll have like one type of accreditation. And if they're doing commercial properties, they'll, they'll be uh, AACI certified, which is a, like a commercial appraisal. So um, that's somebody that you want on your team. Um, you're going to want to have a, a good lawyer, like I, I mentioned before, that has the experience around doing this. You're going to need your accountant on board to explain to you how to hold those type of investments. It's easy enough if they're registered funds, but let's say you want to do this um, more professionally as a, uh, and you want to reduce your tax uh, bill at the same time, you may want to talk to an accountant about setting it up through some sort of corporation or investing through your existing corporation. So an accountant is, is key to, to be able to, to do that. And if you're, if you're just starting out in doing this, um, I would suggest that you have a mortgage broker or a mortgage agent that specializes in private lending to be able to help you to, to do the, the first few mortgages uh, together. Um, just because I think that uh, it's better to have somebody that has experience and has done it for a long time and then go out and do something yourself, learn from them, ask them questions, um, you know, and, and see if you can get onto this, the same, you know, uh, kind of team as them, like they're like, well, how they're getting deals. You can talk to them about that and, um, and see what makes sense. And remember to have, um, you know, uh, there the, can't, what I would also suggest is um and this is a little different is to find other people that are lending as well and talk to them right. so there there are uh, facebook groups there are other groups um you know in in our real estate club we have a, a a special interest group for private lenders so like there are places that you can that you can network with other people who are doing that lending and that it makes it easier for you to um to find and also do, do uh, talk about due diligence together um and and it just depends on how much time you want to commit to it if all you're going to do is one um mortgage and that's it then just use a mortgage broker like uh, super simple but if you plan to do this like on an ongoing basis and you're going to be managing a 
like, you know, uh, a couple million in funds yourself, uh, then I would suggest that you, you know, this is where you start to, to get involved with, uh, you know, building that team out even more. And, and there are also like different rules that come into play now as well. Like, um, you can't, you can't syndicate mortgages, um, anymore. Um, so you used to be able to bring four or five people together in order to to have enough funds to lend in a, in what would be called a considered a syndicated mortgage. Um, the the rules have changed around that, so you can't actually put those five people together unless you have a specific mortgage lending criteria that allows you to to be able to do that and i can't remember off the top of my head what the the name of that 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 role is now but that 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 person acts as a go between and can can do a syndicated mortgage means you can bring people together if you don't have enough funds to do the the loan and then everybody will benefit by getting the same same rate so um a mortgage uh, broker or agent can help you to do that who have that that designation right i think you said something that's really important especially for you know the physician who has a busy life already uh, if they want to, if a physician want to do this or any professional who wants to do this, uh, f- if you're doing your first one or your first few, uh, get yourself a mortgage broker, get yourself a good lawyer, but also, you know, mentor, get yourself a good mentor. And uh, mm-hmm. Quentin, uh, I see you posting on LinkedIn and you have a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> uh, I think you would be an amazing uh, uh, mentor for many of us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I, you know, I try to put out the the video podcast and 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 help people to to learn more about uh, investing. So I I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so let's let's now try to wrap this up a little bit under uh, last part of our conversation. You know, everything's beautiful. Everything's nice and dandy. It looks it looks better than sliced bread. But what are the risks? Are, are there? Oh. What would you say are the major risks in doing this? Well, the major risk is that you you lend too much, you over lend uh, on an asset, and there is a default, and you have to go through the uh, power of sale process. In Ontario, we typically do a power of sale process, not a foreclosure process. And there are there there are different processes. Uh, you know, when you're when you're trying to recover funds as a lender. Um, the key is to have enough equity in the project in order to make sure that you still get paid. So that that's a key, but default is the key. Uh, def- not is the key is the is the big thing that you want to avoid, and and the way to do that is to do a lot of due diligence on the borrower. That's that's the the piece that um, that helps you. And then once you've done the due diligence on a borrower, it makes it easy for you to to do again and again. Right. Uh, if you were to do the same thing, but the risk is definitely on uh, on default is the is the one that I would okay. say is the highest one. So due diligence on the project, make mm-hmm. sure that there is a good business plan. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the business plan is sound, mm-hmm. and make sure that the business plan can be carried out to exit. Right, uh, and that the business plan is not selling you the moon or the sky. Uh, and finally, you said make a due diligence on the borrower. So where would someone go do that? Where where would someone say, I want to know everything about Quentin? I mean, other than 
learning it on on YouTube and LinkedIn. How how does one even do that? Right. So uh, what you do is you ask for um, like a you could ask for a credibility binder or a package. This is something that I uh, tend to put together and share with people to know who I am as a as a borrower. Um, And you can do a, a you can ask for a credit check or you can do a credit check. You can also uh, ask for like um, tax tax returns. You can ask for um, like you could do a criminal background check. You can do all the things that you that you would request in order to do that. Now, the more you do, the less likely the person is to work with you again. <laughs> <laughs> correct but, correct but it, so there's a balance to it but you can you can you do as much due diligence as you want if if you're working with a professional investor usually they will have some sort of credibility package that they can pass to you and then um you know you could also have have them talk to previous lenders if you if you want right, right? Uh, but a credit a credit uh poll will usually dict- will give you some information that you know that will will help you tremendously, right? Um, and if you can't pull it yourself, you can. That's what a, your that team is about, right? Your mortgage agent or broker can pull uh, that. Exactly. Right? Okay. Good. So your mortgage broker can help you in some of that credibility check. Yeah, absolutely. That's what they should be doing. Okay. So now that we talked about risk, how how should I mitigate it? Uh, we've talked about the doing the due diligence. Are there other things that we you think we need to do in addition to that? Yeah, one thing is make sure you visit the property. So there are, um, you know, I know it sounds kind of odd to to do, but you should be able to visit the property or have somebody else visit the property. You don't have to go into the property. Just make sure it's there. <laughs> Just, <laughs> okay. Right. Like just make sure that it's existing as you say that there that it's uh, existing. And it's, not I know on, it, it's not on the metaverse. No, it's not on the metaverse. <laughs> it didn't burn down. Uh, there wasn't something else like it wasn't an appraisal on a property. And then the, the property burned down after like um, just something simple like that. I know it doesn't sound like too complex, but that's really like one thing that I think that that would help people if they did it, but they but they often don't. Mm. Um, especially if you're a private lender and you're not, you know, doing a hundred deals at a time, then it, what? Like, how hard is it to do that or have a friend just drive by it? Right. Um, that's it. Just that's it. You just want to ensure that it's there. <laughs> okay, uh, that's good tip number one. Are there other good tips that you can share with us? Oh yeah, I've I got. Tips I have. <laughs> so, I mean, like making sure that you, so it's due diligence, but it's also, like I mentioned again and again, make sure that there is a business plan associated, either from an investor or from a business owner. How are you going to be paid back? You want to know how you are going to be paid back. So what are they using the funds for and how you are going to be paid back? Because if if you don't know that, then it's unlikely that you're going to get paid back in the way that you <laughs> like in a, in a timely manner. So make sure that you find find that information out. So that's okay. a, that's another tip. I mean, um, corollary to that is if you're doing this for the first time, the first few times, work with experienced uh, investors, 
someone yep. like Quentin or other people who've done this many times, because the likelihood is that they get they got all their ducks lined up, they got their credibility binder, and they have a track record of paying back, right? So if you're going to do this for the first few times, work with experienced investors. Yeah, absolutely. You, I can't stress that enough. Like making sure that you have, uh, you know, you're working with somebody who's uh, done that before is uh, is really important because um, because that track record helps to make you feel comfortable. Yeah. The the other tip now when we're talking about due diligence on uh, our particular person is make sure that you re- that your your funds are actually registered on title. We kind of briefly mentioned promissory notes. So like if you're doing a first mortgage, maybe like you're, you know, you're up to let's say 70% or 75% loan to value. And then, you know, that's at a 6% rate. And then we said, you know, maybe you take another 10% as a second mortgage and you're at like eight to 10% rate. Um, Sometimes you have, and those those mortgages are registered on title, right? So that means that that if anybody else were to go to put any lending on it, they would see that those ty- those um, those mortgages are registered on title. Yeah, and, there's and a that, lien. There's, there's a, a lien. lien. That's right, and that's the key. So you should be able to when you've when you've done this, you should be able to see that the the title record reflects. Um, the lender as holding a lien on that particular property. Um, So there are people in the real estate industry that promote promissory notes as a way to get 100% financing on projects. And they ask uh, other people to lend them at 12 or 14%. And they see the interest rate as being, wow, 14%, I can earn 14% for six months. Sounds like a great deal. The, the, that the issue is that there's usually no security attached to it. And if a person um, is a person who is likely to, you know, um, let's see, claim bankruptcy for an example, okay? Uh, A promissory note is gonna mean nothing because if, if that person gave you a personal guarantee across all their assets, but they claim bankruptcy, that promissory note is not going to be worth more than the paper that it's written on because there's no way to claim that against somebody who's claimed bankruptcy. So um, that's why those, those uh, first and second mortgages that were registered on title have um, lower risk is because they're actually registered on title and they're associated with that asset. So that's gonna that means that you're going to be able to recover that uh, before anybody else comes after that asset. Right. I think in I think in my mind uh, this is very important. We're we're not collection agents and we don't even want to go there. And physicians uh, are busy enough that they don't need to deal with these type of things. So I think it's it, like you said, it's always best to have your mortgage registered and have a lien on it and avoid promissory notes altogether. Yeah. And, and if you have a team, like a really good team, a lawyer can actually act as the person who does that for you. So like if you do have a default, they will actually act on your behalf to, and they'll just charge the the lender for whatever the costs are, as long as it's in the terms of the mortgage. So um, that you can actually structure your lending so that that 
you know, um, if that if that is the case that that happens, that you can hire somebody to to do that. Now, the challenge is is that there has to be equity in the property in order to make sure that you're you're paid and you know the, whatever the costs are that are associated with um, you know uh, going after the the debtor is is going to be um, paid for by the asset. But um, that's a definitely a tip as well, having yeah. a good you know, lawyer on your team that can handle that for you, then you don't, if there is ever an issue that they can do that. Well, I mean, having a team is also giving you an idea what the appropriate loan to value is, right? Um, If the loan to value is excessive to the project, then it's probably a project not uh, too risky to, to be doing, or you may have to charge a higher interest rate. But, you know, as, as someone who's never done this before, or someone who's novice at this, um, it's it's good to have a team to tell you what's a good loan to value. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay, well, thank you for all these little good tips. Uh, I, I much appreciate it. I'm sure my, my audience appreciate this as well. Okay, so now I'm at the stage where, you know, Quentin, you've... Uh, You've you've got me hooked. You've got me interested in this, and uh, I I want to investigate this for you know part of my deployment of my five hundred thousand dollars. A podcast like this is not sufficient. As much as uh, we have you on here, what are the different books that we can try to read up on this on this topic? I have a book called The RRSP Secret by uh, Greg Habstrit. Um, And uh, this was a very good book in trying to understand the arm's length lending from the RRSP. Uh, You have many other books. What what would you recommend? Yeah, so I have a a very big library. I tend to read a lot and and listen to books as well. So uh, another book that I would recommend is Private Mortgage Wealth, Simple Strategies for Making Double-Digit Returns by Charles Azigbeham. Um, it's actually a Canadian book. I remember um, it was actually a local uh, to where I am, Durham uh, uh, author. So that's a, a good one. There's another one called The Fortunate Few. It's more of a kind of like a, a look at how to, how to do this process from a story perspective of a couple. So and that's by uh, Daniel Levine and Carol Druin. So those are a couple books. And then I have some, I have a few books on the financing side for the investor. So if there are doctors who are looking to do this and they're um, because they ran into a roadblock on financing, um, there's a good book called uh, Canadian Real Estate Investor Financing, The Seven Secrets to Getting All the Money You Want by Dahlia Barsoom and Enza Venetu. Uh, so that's that's a good one on that side. And I've got a few more books, but I think that's enough for today. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's a lot of book to read. In addition to our new New England Journal of Medicine and whatever whatever other articles we need to, 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 to do to read to keep up. So um, thank you very much for your time, Quentin, today. We've uh, spent a lot of time talking. Um, if there's one final message that you want to uh, give to my audience that's burning off your chest, it must be said, what would that be? You know, talk to talk to people who are who are doing this. That's the the best way of doing it. And if uh, you're interested and you you have questions, you can go to quintondesouza.com and 
uh, I'm happy to give you 15 minutes of my time and we can talk about uh, investing in uh, real estate, um, you know, private lending, whatever you'd like to talk about for 15 minutes. I think that's uh, that would be great. So it's at quintondesouza.com. Thank you very much, Quentin. Uh, really enjoyed this uh, chat with you. I've learned a great deal. Uh, and uh, thank you for sharing your, your wisdom and your insight with us. Oh, you're welcome. Well, there you have it. Uh, we've had a really great conversation with uh, Quentin. Believe it or not, I've read all the books that uh, we've talked about here. And talk about you don't know what you don't know. And uh, this is really rings true in particular to this particular topic that most physicians are not aware or familiar with uh, private lending and this concept of arm's length lending through your registered account from your RRSP. This episode was recorded in the spring and summer. And now that I'm looking at how the market has been doing since September, October, November and December, we can see that the market has not been doing as well as the last 10 years that has passed. So the market has given back, uh, you know, since 2020 when it had a big surge. So for, for those of us who thinks that, you know, investing in the market is the only thing we can do because we want to do, you know, index funds, uh, we want to do ETFs and we ride with the market and we go along with the market and, you know what, just buy and hold is one of those, you know, dogmas that we need to get away from. Uh, there's obviously, you know, money to be made in the market, but there are alternatives and these alternatives may have a better risk adjusted. And remember, it's called risk adjusted uh, returns. And if you want to play in real estate, there are many ways to play in real estate without actually owning a piece of land or a piece of sand or a piece of uh, brick. And so there are many ways to do this. And I've had many colleagues and friends who've done arm's length lending, whether it is with a RRSP account or even with a non-reg account. And those who have done it often have lots of experience and good experience with it. And so definitely this is something that we should think about. Now, this is not for everyone. And I'm not saying that everybody should jump into this, but it is something now to consider now that you are aware of it. The worst thing is you don't know what you don't know, but now that you do, please read up on it and figure out if this is something that may be of interest to you, especially if you want to play in the real estate industry. Please email me if you have any feedback or comments. My email is hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. And if you have really enjoyed this episode like I have, uh, I have learned a lot. If you have enjoyed that, then please share with your colleagues, your friends, your dogs, and your cats. Thank you. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.